The following program is an abridged audio version of the streaming video talk show, A Wonderful Chaos. The hosts are Andy Chaliff and Bambos Dimitriou. The format is entirely casual, unscripted conversation. If you'd like to watch a live taping or participate with your comments in real time, subscribe to A Wonderful Chaos on YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, or Twitch. Then I had the accident, did the recovery from that. You know, I did my first 5K. Then I said, well, if I did 5, can I do 10? Then I did a 10K. Then I did a 10 miler. Then a year after I'd started running, I did a half marathon. I thought, well, if I can run a half, why can't I run a whole? I did a rowing competition. In, then I, I ran up the Empire State Building. Uh, I did two sprint triathlons. I rode my bike in a bike ride called the Assault on Mountain Mitchell. And then I ran the Marine Corps Marathon. So I got interviewed by Comcast Sportsnet, and they said, what was the hardest thing about running a marathon? I thought, well, the hardest thing about running a marathon wasn't running the marathon. It was about, it was getting out the door. Once I did, the rest was easy. It's a wonderful chaos. Solo or tandem. We work to find rest. We fight to find peace. And the atheist pray? It's a wonderful chaos, and we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos, and we like it that way. It's a wonderful chaos, and we like it that way. Get out the door, Bambos. Get out the door. Get out the door. In fact, that's something you don't necessarily need to deal with, but I do, because <laughs> I'm far less disciplined with you. We're on today with David Hollingsworth. Mr. We're going to discuss a, a, about his accident in 2004, yeah. where he fractured his spine and he wasn't sure if he was ever going to walk again, and what he had to do to recover, and what he learned from that experience. And I always appreciate stories where somebody has an experience, almost this hero's journey sort of story, where someone has had an experience where you really are not sure, like, how are they going to navigate it? Because in a weird way, we don't know who we are until it's happened to us. We can always imagine that we'll be able to navigate something. Mm. But until it's happened to you, you don't really know. Yeah. And I think whenever I've worked with someone or mentored someone, like the, there's often a moment where people overthink how they're going to fix it. Like they need to have the solution before they do anything. Yeah. If anyone wants to have a new endeavor in general, they, they want to make sure that it's successful. But yeah. I mean, if I've learned anything working with you, Andy, it is <laughs> go and do it. Yes. And if if it fails, the success is in the learnings and the lessons that you'll get from that and then build on that. And yeah, and then and I would only add to that that there is no failing. There that, is that, no failing. That would be the only because the the I think what happens is is that once we set our mind to we are going and then failing, we don't actually see it as this constant positive reinforcing loop. Yeah. Right. Remember, because Thomas Edison said after they asked him that question, like, um, like, you know, you've struggled to get this light bulb to work and you did it for years and you, you made, you failed a thousand times. You failed a thousand times. He's no, I figured a thousand ways not to make a light bulb. <laughs> so in, in, in a weird way that getting out the door is that if you get going at it, you'll figure it out. Yeah. But get going at it is the hardest step. I mean, even me walking 
You know, like the humor is, is I've been gaining weight for how many months now? Income years, 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 screw you years. And it's true. I used that's totally, but I had nothing to, I didn't do anything about it and it was okay, but I chatted and laughed and made jokes and you were cool about it. Cause it was like, Hey Andy, apparently you're okay with getting fat. That's a, you know, as long as Ronnie doesn't have a problem with it, and, then, you know, when we go to the sauna, you would not be ashamed of your body. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> In fact, I was getting hit on by all these guys in there. I more, mean, more than me. God, anyway. God forbid. So, so, um, so in a way, it was this moment, and I call it probably, I'd call it my get out the door moment. And it was when the snow came outside, and then some weird, messed up thing. I said, I'm going to experience the snow like I'm on vacation. And on that day, I walked 30,000 steps. Yeah, and every day since then, three weeks ago, I've walked at least ten to fifteen, usually twenty five thousand steps a day, including when it rains. I, I and that have... that's been for me a get out the door experience that's changed my life. My just to give you some stats, my heart rate was resting heart rate was at seventy five beats per minute, and now it's at sixty nine, and that's only happened within two and a half weeks to three weeks. And, and you've lost you're probably two and a half inter- kilos. You're probably not eating as much because you're walking a lot. Not eating it. So there, there, there's all, I'm sleeping better, but all it took was me getting out the damn door. Nice. Because I, I wasn't going to plan. I didn't have a big strategy. I didn't know. It. Just one thing though. Yeah. I think your walking started when COVID came in. I mean, you and Ronnie. It, it did, but I did it luxuriously. I might have a day of 15, but a day of zero. Yeah. So now it's like, no. I'm out the door. Consistent. It, consistent. It, Even if it rains. It rains, I'm out the door. You know, I was a fair weather friend and that changed. So so that's basically, I wanted to set up bringing in David from, from the talk. And then now we can invite him on. If yeah. that's a, so he has nothing to talk about now that we've already said everything that's in his book. Yeah. Hello, David. Hey, <laughs> hey, Andy. It's great, great to be here today. Thank you. March 15th, Monday, March 15th, your life changes. Yes. Um, well, life changes every day, but Monday, March 15th, the book uh, launches on Amazon. Uh, the okay. paperback is available and the Kindle sale starts Monday. So looking forward to getting this message out to lots of people who have made benefit. So nice. really excited about that. Prior to 2014, mm-hmm. what did you not like about yourself compared to who you are now? That's a good question. Ooh. I just wanted to go there, Balmbos. I felt like, I just, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say why I asked it. I think the thing a lot, I think a lot of people struggle with, myself included, is focusing on the things that I don't like mm. versus what's working well. And uh, prior to <clears throat> the events of the book in 2014, actually in 2000, in 2012. I was significantly overweight. I wasn't happy with where my job was going. I wasn't um, feeling good about a lot of things. And I decided Mm -hmm. that something needed to change. And so after the accident, I asked the doctor, you know, can I run? And he said, well, if somebody's chasing you. (laughs) (laughs) If a bear is chasing you, you can run. I I guarantee you. (laughs) So, So I... I signed up for a 5K that was like three months away, and I tried to get out, get out and run one day, and I jogged all of 60 feet. Yeah, how did that feel? Scary. Um, you know, post the accident, there were a lot of people who said, 
well, you can't do this, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are a lot of things I was afraid of. I didn't know that if I ran, would I hurt myself? Mm. And just getting started and doing something small built my confidence. I mean, uh, Cover Bailey, the guy who wrote the book Fit or Fat, he, he had a great saying. He said, start so slowly, people make fun of you. Nice. Not, and I use that as a, as a, as a mantra. Uh, that That's one of my mottos, that if you start small enough, it doesn't matter where you start. You, you can always improve on that. Yeah. They, they told me that I run like an old man, <laughs> but I, I actually have a lot of weight on me when I'm running in my backpack. Yeah. And so, so even though I look really slow, it's because of that. But I keep doing it because it it, uh, it challenges a lot. Mm. But I still run like an old man. Well, and in, well, and if you're lucky, you'll get to run as an old man. Yeah. Bam. There you go. Um, can Can you share a little bit about the accident itself? Because I am. Like, I know it was a motorcycle accident. Like, who were you before that moment? And when you came, I don't know if you passed out. Who were you when you woke up? Sure. Um, when I, I, bought, I got a motorcycle when I was 43. Um, and it was kind of a midlife crisis type thing. A lot of guys will go out and get a Harley, you know. I got a Honda Rebel 250, which is the smallest I think, street legal bike you can get. Um and I was doing everything safe. I was sticking to riding around the neighborhood. I was wearing a helmet, gloves, jacket, boots, pants, all important. And was practicing in a little elementary school parking lot. And as I was going back and forth across the parking lot, um, accelerated across and hit a patch of sand. And when you start to fall, you'll grab onto what you think is going to keep you from falling. Yeah. Well, I'm right-handed, so I grabbed the throttle. The bike shot forward, hit a curb. I bounced off and landed on the corner of the curb. Ugh. And while I didn't pass out, um, I was conscious the whole time. I knew as soon as I hit that something bad happened. Mm. Um, and when the paramedics came to check me out, um, they're checking, you know, arms, legs, you know, is there any bleeding, you know, whatever. And I noticed I couldn't feel my right leg. Mm. And so they put me in a neck collar and uh, strapped me to a board and transferred me to the hospital where they immobilized me for 48 hours prior to surgery. And just before going under, the doctor said, we'll do everything we can, but I don't know if you're going to walk again. So that's what happened before the accident. Um, and when I woke up, David, uh, before you continue, like the the word, like the word surrender is just come, rising up for me. Yeah. Like in in a way, mm. in the moment you hit the curve and you know something is not right. Right. What what happened internally to you in that moment? Well, I, my first thought was, you know, where are the kids? Because they were at home, and I was wondering, okay, how do I get? How do I let them know that something happened? Um, mm. And the paramedic said, is there anybody we should call? And I don't know why that, why I said that. I said, a doctor would be nice. Um, yeah. But then I, I got the neighbors called. They came over to take care of the kids, uh, got me to the hospital. But there were a lot of things going through my head, none of which was about me. Mm. Uh, it was like, okay, 
what happens to everybody else at this point? Yeah. Um, because I think the thought about potentially not walking in was too big for me to handle at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine that there's got to be so much adrenaline coursing through your brain at the moment that you're sort of on the ground now feeling your leg. It it must be almost, did it feel like a dream or did you, did you, were you conscious though? that This is really, I, I, were you like almost acutely present in the sense that, did you have an alternate way of experiencing the world or how was it? It was very, I was very much in the moment and trying Mm. not to think about, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow or what's going to happen next week. It was okay who's around me? Who do I need to talk to? Who do I let know what happened? So I was hyper aware of what do we, what do I need to take care of now? Um, I think as, as a dad, that's one of the things you think of, what are my responsibilities? Yeah. uh, As opposed to, are you a single parent then? uh, I wasn't at the time I am now. Uh, Both kids are um, in their early twenties and Mm -hmm. doing very well. Uh, but that was one of the struggles I went through is how does this change the family um, mm. as as we go through this? Because something like that will change your life, not just the immediate effects of having an accident like that, but also the social dynamic of how it changes your relationships. And and I'm assuming because you were with your then wife and you're no longer together. Would you say that what transpired from the accident also in some ways precipitated the two of you separating, or would you say that might would have possibly happened anyways? It might've happened anyways, but it didn't, I'm sure it accelerated things. Yeah. Because, you know, that's not something you, that's not a stressor you'd want to add to any relationship. Yeah. And um, mm. while it may not have been the cause, it certainly didn't help. Yeah, no, I've often noticed that because even like during COVID, I, I'm la- I, I, we we had a woman on the show who did who's done hundreds of divorces mm-hmm. and, our, and our statement was like all on, by on her own. No, no, no. She's a, 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 a lawyer who represents usually men on the side of this. So in case you need one, we got a good one. But the thing is, is that she was we were discussing that during an acute issue like COVID, where there is so much pressure and stress that anything that wasn't going well before it actually is exacerbated and therefore more likely that you'll have a, a, a divorce. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's, it's one of those things about uh, they say about, uh, you know, stress doesn't make character. It reveals it. I mean, it, the, mm-hmm. th- the things that you are um, get revealed by any major change in your life, whether you have an accident or win the lottery, you get yeah. to find out, okay, who are you at the core? Yeah. Well, l- listening to you speak, <clears throat> I, 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 I was trying to imagine if that would happen to myself. I, I'm not very easily receiving help. Yeah. So in a way, I, I tend to push people away. Like I, I need headspace. Right. Mm. And I'm wondering, how was that for you coming home in n- not fully in your body as the way you would want it to be? And then having to engage life again. Sure. Well, the thing is, I didn't come home for three months. Uh, I was hospitalized um, wearing what they call a TLSO brace, which went from my shoulders to my hips, uh, where I was literally bolted together. So I had to rely on nurses, on physical therapists, on 
lots of people Ugh. and I'm not good at accepting help. And what I, I tell, <laughs> yeah, what I, what I learned was um, anger can be a very useful emotion. Um, when I was mad at myself for being in that, putting myself in that situation, mm. for putting my family through that situation, getting mad about it was one of the things that fueled me to work harder mm. on um, improving things. But by the time I was released from the hospital, I could walk maybe 10, 15 feet. Um, so most of the recovery, yeah, the big part of the recovery happened in the hospital. Um, but it's going back to anger, which was something really interesting about not being good at accepting help. A few years later, 2008, I, I learned how to, got back to riding a bike and somebody hit me in an intersection. When I was riding. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. And, you know, I, I did everything safe. You know, I pulled up the intersection, looked both ways, traffic had stopped. And when I started to go across, somebody drove around three cars and hit me in the crosswalk. So I went up the windshield and I'm still bolted to the bike as I fall down to the pavement. Oh. And he get the guy gets out of the car and tries to get me off the bike. I'm like Charlton Heston and Planet of the Apes. I'm get your hands off of me. You know, he was trying to help me up. I'm like, don't touch me. Um, yeah. because the adrenaline was really flowing at that point. But yeah, yeah anger can anger can mm. be a challenge, but it also can help you move forward when you feel like you're stuck. Bambos and I both had angry fathers mm -hmm. and we've spoken a lot on the show about how learning to embrace our own anger mm -hmm. and channel it in positive ways has served us both. I'm speaking for us now. Yeah, yeah we've definitely. Had so we can certainly relate with anger is not a bad thing. It's just another emotion that we need to learn how to channel in a way that it gives us and productive energy. Yeah. So yeah. what would you say was behind your anger? Like, like when I feel angry, there's normally a pain that, I, mm. that, that I'm not allowing myself to feel. And I'm wondering, what was your pain? Well, at the time, it was being upset about the things that I had done to put myself in the situation. Because sometimes there, there are things that happen that you can't control. Yeah. But I made the choice to get on the bike. You know, I made the choice to do lots of things. And... Um, is when I was uh, learning how to drive on a racetrack at the Summit uh, Point Raceway, one of the things they said, if a meteor falls out of the sky and crushes your car, that's an accident. Everything else is driver error. <laughs> yeah. I had to think about, okay, how did I contribute to this? Um, and I was pretty angry about that until I, mm. until I realized that however I got here, yeah. this is where I am. Yeah. And if I'm going to change anything, I have to start here and then I can move forward. But getting mad about just being where I am, it's not a question about your location or my mm -hmm. location. It's a question about which direction are you heading? Because your direction is far more important than your yeah. location. Yeah, well, we can already say what caused you to get in the accident. It was that damn midlife crisis. If you, you dealt, if you dealt with all that stuff in your 30s, then you may have gotten around this just just, just okay. <laughs> I'm sure there was a lot of uh, unresolved uh, issues that I needed to deal with earlier. Uh, I, I was going to say, what? 
I, I can't afford to even be in a midlife crisis because I can't afford a bike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, there's that wonderful proverb where it's like, you know, that we had it on the show, I believe, a few days ago where the the person, the, the most attractive person in the village has the nicest horse and then they break their leg so they can't go to war. So they live. And then it's sort of that back and forth of mm-hmm. all the circumstances that one thinks makes them lucky, all of a sudden makes them unlucky again and vice versa. You know? oh, yeah. You're projecting onto it. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, you know, you, you, I've, I've learned to be more grateful about, you know, about everything that, even even if something completely blows up in your face, mm. it could always make for a good story. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's always something you can get out of it. Um, I think- and, I would, and I would attest to say, as you said, that you were obese before this accident. Yeah. So in some weird way, I would imagine, even given what you've been through from health things, you're probably in better health than you were for the 10 years prior to that accident right yeah. now. Yeah, the question is, if this didn't happen, what would I have done? I likely wouldn't have written a book. I'm, I can tell you about that. Um, I likely wouldn't have. I mean, I had, I had done uh, a marathon, two marathons prior to the accident. But prior to that, I hadn't run for 10 years. Yeah. You know, so I've done a lot more because of the one thing that I would have had had it not happened. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. Mm. So you you had to do some, uh, at least I'm, I'm, I'm projecting onto you, like you had to do some rewiring of your brain. Mm. Because yeah. if, if the world says you can't walk anymore and then you, you go and run 60 feet and you're done for the day, mm-hmm. then... How how do how did you move past that? <laughs> that's 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 a good point. Um, I have never been a good person to listen to the word no, and th- that's existed from the time I was a toddler. Uh, mm. If you tell me I can't do something, that's probably the one thing that will spark me to prove you wrong. Um, so I've still got that defiant streak, which sometimes useful and sometimes not as useful. So which one of your parents told you you couldn't do it? My mom. (laughs) It was always mom because Uh. (laughs) mom was the one who would say, here are the rules. Yeah. And dad was the one who would say, well, you'll learn one way or the other. Yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. We know that dynamic well, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, dad's usually willing to let you let you trip and fall and hurt yourself, and then you'd learn from that. Yeah. Um, so so the the little toddler is the one that got you through this. Yeah. Um, mm. And when when people look at okay, what's going right and what's going less than right in their own lives, is don't worry if you're not doing something perfect, um, because everything everything works together in one form or another. So something that may trip you up in one area can be really helpful in another. So always be looking out for what good can I make of this? You know, and you touched on that word and it also kind of connects with me to get out the door. There's Mm -hmm. a real connection for me with perfectionism Mm -hmm. and getting started. And of course, for entrepreneurs, it's that the typical I need to know the answer before I do it because I don't want to make a mistake. So it's sort of interesting because as you were speaking now, I was just feeling into the 
whole feeling like, wow, like what does life look like when you just start doing things and you don't even care what the result is, you'll learn and grow and it'll adapt anyways. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's when I've, when I've uh, been on stage, whether it's doing standup or telling a story or writing new content is the one thing I had to get over is realizing that the first version of anything is going to suck. You yeah. know, it's okay to not be good at something because all these people you see who are really, really good at something, very, very few of them were good at it when they started. And most yeah. of them are pretty bad. Um, yeah, so it's okay to start and be bad at something. And I'm sometimes excited about being bad at something because I can always be better. Yeah. I love the celebration. Balmos knows that story. When I first played the saxophone, I was so bad. The neighbor said, whoever is playing that saxophone is so bad. They have to stop. They're terrorizing the neighborhood, not knowing it was me. And I was <laughs> and I was like on cloud nine because I'm like, you know what? If I'm that bad, it's a good start. Like that was very much my mindset. So as you speak, I realized that if you don't celebrate those initial steps, you don't get the joy of the development because you're already feeling in lack of. You're like, oh, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. And, then, and it goes in that negative reinforcing loop. Yeah. Well, you, yeah. you see the guitar in the background. I have 13 others in different spots that are off camera. So I've played guitar since I was 15 or 16 years old. And one of the things that uh, I, rem I remember when I was first starting to play, somebody would say, hey, who sings that song? And I would say, oh, it's Bad Company. And they'd say, let's keep it that way. Um, yeah, I know that one, yes. So, you know, it's okay to be not good at something when you start because that's how you get good. You know, yeah. you play with people who are better than you. You yeah. look for people who've done it before and you figure out what did they run into when they did it? And maybe you can mm -hmm. learn from them. That's what I feel like when I do fitness with Bombos for an hour. <laughs> You haven't done fitness with me for that, over a year. That was two years ago, I know, but that's how I felt. That's why we haven't done it since. So you're building, you're building up to that full hour. <laughs> yes. David, uh, you you talked about you, you did stand-up comedy. Was yeah. this after your accident? Yes. Well, it, was, it happened before and after. I worked at a resort in the 80s in um, north of Chicago. It was kind of like a Midwestern Catskills-type resort. And I worked with a couple guys from Second City uh, who helped us write material and get on stage. And I really loved doing that. But once I got married and had kids, I didn't do any of that. Mm. And again, until after the accident. And it was really liberating to get on stage and to get that first laugh. Uh, but it takes a lot of work to get that first laugh. I wanted to ask a question about that. Do you have a follow-up? Well, yeah. I mean... Did you use comedy to like laugh about your life circumstances and like how did you use this if you used it in that way? I didn't I've not done a lot of material about the accident and the change from that. I I have made fun of you know being in my 50s and dating. Um yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of questions about that. I was going to save them for a little bit later. Yeah, it's funny. I I have to send you some material I wrote on on um, online dating that it's too long to go into here, but it, it's reasonably funny. Do you find that your humor changed before and after the accident? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it became a lot more, you know, self-deprecating, you know, uh -huh. and as opposed to making fun of other things yeah. is trying to find, okay, what is going on in my life? 
that other people may have run into. Nice. Um, like one of the bits I do is anybody ever tell you, you look like somebody else, yeah. you know, I get it all the time. It's never anybody good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, a lot of people have, have run into that same thing, but the, as soon as I say the first line, they're trying to figure out who do I look like? And then I, I get all those. And that allows me to go into other material, which is, again, it's finding what's, challenging in your life but also putting a twist on it so that you can find what you have in common with other people because that's what's funny is yeah. are the feelings that we've all experienced yeah and if you can turn it on its head it becomes funny you know what sucks though is when i was 20 listening to 50 year old comedians yeah. i really didn't understand the jokes but now i understand them so whenever <laughs> they talk about like all the hair disappears from one part of your body and then it starts cropping up in other parts like that is so apparent <laughs> once you turn 50 yeah well it's also knowing your audience because the <laughs> 20s um don't you have to kind of preface to them so one of the things i did when i walked on stage was i i know what you're thinking dad is it even? <laughs> um, so you kind of you you acknowledge the elephant in the room that you are a yeah. different age than the audience and uh, they can relate to that. Yeah, yeah. So we have fun. to do another show yeah. with you dating at 50. Yeah, dating at 50. That's what I'd like to do a show on. We might make this half of this show as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I want to know what your Twitter, what not your Twitter, your Tinder looks like, you know. I've got I really can't <laughs> <laughs> nice but, but if we do a different show i, I can do the material that we did I got it. that i did about about dating we're gonna always take an opportunity to put people in the hot seat if we have on this show <laughs> <Really? That> is- <clears throat> I, we can go back a little bit if you had i don't know where you go were for it, go for it. um so with this book right so all of this transpires you know if i look at if i'm doing my math now this all happens 2004 we're at 2021 right now. Yeah. There's a gap of time in there. Like what happens that at some point you say, I'm going to write a book now? Like what had to happen for that to be a decision? Yeah. Um, a lot of it was never intended to go into a book. Um, the The period from 2004 to 2014 was really, that's just life happening. Um, mm. Then I had the accident and did the recovery from that. And then in, 2012, when I started making those changes, you know, I did my first 5K. Then I said, well, if I did five, can I do 10? Um, then I did a 10K. Then I did a 10 miler. Then a year after I'd started running, I did a half marathon. And when you see that 13.1 sticker on somebody's car and say, wow, that's impressive. Well, it's really half as impressive as somebody who's run a real marathon. Mm. Um, I thought, well, if I can run a half, why can't I run a whole? So I started putting together a bucket list of, okay, what do I want to do to kind of celebrate the 10 years since the accident? Um, so in February, I did a rowing competition in indoors because it would be cold to row outside. Uh, mm-hmm. Then I, I ran up the Empire State Building. Uh, I did two sprint triathlons. I rode my bike in a bike ride called the Assault on Mount Mitchell, um, where I finished last of the official finishers. And then I ran the Marine Corps Marathon. I thought, so I got interviewed by Comcast Sportsnet, and they said, what was the hardest thing about running a marathon? I thought, huh. Well, the hardest thing about running a marathon wasn't running the marathon. It was about, it was getting out the door. Once I did, the rest was easy. Yeah. And I sat on that tagline for 
three or four years and thought, and people said, wow, you should really write a book about this. And it took me a long time to find out how to frame the story because I could have written it just about the journey. Um, and the reaction I got from people was, was, wow, that's really cool for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the best one, isn't it? Yes. I have no attachment to anything you've said, but I'm happy you're happy. Good for yeah. you. Good for yeah. you. I had to take it around. It's okay. What do it's like doing comedy? What can other people identify with mm. in the story? So it's like you're watching Star Wars, you know, for the first time. It's like clearly you haven't been in another galaxy far, far away, but everybody identified with Luke Skywalker. Mm -hmm. Um so I came to frame the book in everybody has obstacles. Everybody has things they want to go after. Um, what's, what does everybody run into along that journey? So you've got to identify what obstacle you're trying to overcome. You've got to take that first step. You've got to make the commitment to whatever change you're trying to make. Yeah. Then it becomes rinse and repeat. You get out the door and keep doing it. Eventually, you will get to where you want to go. Yeah. So that was the whole process of deciding to write the book and figuring out how. Yeah. Because writing the book took six weeks. You know, editing and doing all those all those other things, that took a year. Yeah. So it's it's a lot. It's an interesting journey. And I think that everybody has a story that falls along those lines. Everybody has their own hero's journey. Yeah. I think that's interesting because people will often think my life isn't interesting. Like for years, I often said, my life isn't interesting. I have nothing really to, you know, I, I hear everyone else's life, fascinating stories. They were a refugee. And then all of a sudden, you don't realize that the beauty is often in the simplicity. It's often just the shared experience because people can all identify with your story if it's told authentically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If it's told from a very vulnerable place, if it's told in a way to elevate you, it's uninteresting. But oh, yeah, everybody's yeah. heard the motivational speaker that like mm. you can do five steps. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear something real. Um, mm. And as when I've taught storytelling, I said, you know, you can tell a hero's journey story about your drive to work this morning. You know, you've got. You've got this call to adventure. You know, you you hear this call, but you don't want to go to work. Then you get behind the wheel and you've immediately hit with obstacles and traffic. You find, you know, your mentor to help you along the way. So you've got ways on your phone um, to guide you along the journey. And eventually you overcome that obstacle. You can tell a good story about anything. Yeah. It's really all the little details that make it authentic to you and make it interesting to other people. Yeah. Has anyone said you look like Bruce Willis? Yes. Yes, I've got that. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I've he looks got, like the villain. He looks like the oh, villain in Die Hard 1. Well, the funny thing is, it's like, you know, some people <laughs> get this. So, you know, how George Clooney is like the most handsome guy around. He has his own brand of tequila. And the okay, stuff is yeah. magical. Because the more you drink of it, the more I look like George Clooney. Um, but the things I guess, usually it's bald white guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then, angry bald white guy. You could yeah, easily yeah. be the angry bald white guy. Yeah, the biggest one I've got is uh, I'm the I'm Jonathan Banks stunt double. 
you know, the guy from Breaking Bad and um, Better Call. Oh, nice. I like that. So I can I can do his stunts for him because he's probably too old to do them. Yeah, he does look pretty frail on the shows I've seen him on lately. But he does kick everybody's butt. So I'm, he always does. He always I'm, looking, does. I'm looking forward to my elder years. Mm. So. When you wrote the book, like I hear sometimes people when they write their first books, they feel like an imposter. Uh-huh. How, like, w- w- does that resonate for you? Or like, how did you feel when you wrote your first book? Well, I, I'm familiar with imposter syndrome, and I think that's really like when when I've gotten on stage or when I've been telling a story or whatever, interviewing for a job, it's like, oh my gosh, they're going to find out who I really am. <laughs> and the funny thing is, if, if people find out who you really are, they'll probably like you better. So who uh, are you? I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> he's not going to bite Bambos. Every time you're going there, he's going to, he's done too much stand-up comedy. He knows how to deal with people like you. You're a heckler. Yeah. Um, I've got a random question for you that Bambos is going to be surprised by, I believe. Uh-oh. Well, how was it to raise a son who had, was autistic? How was that? It has been a challenge. It's still a challenge. Um, how old, how old is your son now? He's 25. Uh, okay. He was diagnosed when he was three. Okay, and, at three. At three, you and and you diagnosed because you saw things at three that you were like, "Oh, we're recognizing something that doesn't seem as a normal behavior for a three-year-old." Or how did you see? How did you recognize it? Well, I think other people recognized it at first. Um, mm. He was a biter. <laughs> we, oh, yeah. we would drop off at daycare, then we get a call thirty minutes later. Well, your son has bitten another kid. Um, and we saw a lot of things like that. Once he was diagnosed, then they started to identify other things. Okay. Um, you know, like fine motor issues and speech issues. Um, but that's another story that I'm actually working on. That book is my second book is telling that story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Um, third, one, show. third show. Third Raising show. And that will be right before that book launch. Yeah, well, I, I will be happy to come back and do that. But yeah, raising a son with autism has been a challenge. But one of the things I learned was not to put limits on what you think somebody else is capable of. Nice, I like that. Um, because and where did that where did that come in? Because I think you probably like with anything an adversity. Of course, we have the adversity of your accident, but you have the adversity of something that's also out of your control. Because yeah. another individual, basically, that's their lives, and you're interacting with them. So when is the moment when you say? Because I've even had that with I've discussed this with Bambos earlier today. Mm-hmm. Like at some point when we were doing our earlier shows, I would be not treating him as an equal just because he was having some trauma issues as we're on the show. And and of course, in that way, I'm reaffirming a a pattern which then doesn't allow him to flourish in his strength. So Mm -hmm. we had to figure out how to navigate that. And in in today's talk, we said, listen, you know, a lot of those old patterns are breaking because I'm not going to going to treat you in that way and therefore i'm going to allow you not to be projected on and then and then creating the negative reinforcing loop so in a way it, it takes a little consciousness so where did that come in for you i'm still working on it um uh, it's realizing that this is another human being with their own thoughts their own desires 
their own life and to be okay with that life being different than yours. Mm. Um, there are a lot of things I do to try to make sure that um, he doesn't experience things that are hard to recover from. Mm -hmm. uh, but there have been other things that, you know, it's like my dad. Well, you're going to learn from that. Mm. You, know, um, you just try to make it something that's not too hard to um, turn back into something positive. Yeah. Uh, he, he drives better than most people that I see on the roads. Um, oh, wow. But when he, um, it was funny, when he blew through a stop sign, I said, well, I guess you're going to have to pay for that ticket, aren't you? Um, which was also funny because the story that I'm telling about him mm -hmm. is how teaching him how to ride a bike. And then once, once he got in motion, there was no stopping, uh, no mm. stopping him. Well, there was also no stopping that four-way stop sign, evidently. Yeah. Uh, so we had to learn from that as well. And, wow. And, and and is he living outside of the house? So you he's in his own environment. Is he, is he working and having a life that's independent of yours? Or are you still supporting and trying to manage it separately? We are working towards that. Um, you know, part of his story is that, you know, he was told he couldn't do all these things. He wouldn't graduate from school, yada, 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 yada. Yeah. Um, well, he not only graduated from high school with a 4.0 average, he became an Eagle Scout. He, again, learned to drive better than his mother, um, but we won't go there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now we're going to get to the reason for the divorce. Yeah, he, he, he graduated uh, graduated from a community college. Uh, he's working. Uh, he will be moving into his own place later this year. I love and, it. And um, he will be as independent as he wants to be. I got it. Okay. It's a progressive thing, of course. Yeah, right? it is. It's yeah. finding out what is that balance. Uh, but my goal is to make myself unnecessary. Obviously. Redundant. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. give someone agency at the speed at which it's possible for them to take their agency over their own lives, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll tell a quick story about uh, when we were teaching him potty training. Um, you know, it's letting, letting people get to the stage where they don't need you. Um, it took longer than typical to to do potty training. And, you know, finally I got to an age where I said, you know, we're just buying underwear. Um, and you'll deal with it. And then one day I was looking around for him and say, Hey, wh where is he? So I yelled his name and I hear from the upstairs bathroom, dad, I'm on the potty. Um, uh, I figured he, at that point he knew exactly where he was exactly where he needed to be. Um, yeah, beautiful. He didn't, he no longer needed me for that job. Yeah. So, now he's going to kill me for telling, for telling the story. So I want to know, is he bringing girls home yet? Not yet, uh, <laughs> but I want to see you then. I want to see how clear in mind you let, are. Let, when he's... let him re, let him let him watch the podcast on dating at fifty. Yeah, we have. We'll oh, yeah. do that. <laughs> well, yeah, compare so, notes. Well, they, they... So, so with with both kids, it's it's really letting them have their own life and not yeah. you're being supportive, but not not trying to run everything because no, I know. When I've tried to run everything, I've not done a good job of it. No, I know. Hey, at some point it gets exhausting and it's yeah. like, wow, like I need to let go. Jesus. Well, that's, yeah, it's, it's like you need to eventually, your job as a parent is eventually done. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was saying my mom was very conservative, but she said, you're an adult. I was in high school and I was 
I could sleep with my girlfriend at home in high school because mm-hmm. she said, you're going to sleep together anyway, so you might as well do it under my roof. So, I mean, it, that, that, not in the car. Yeah. No, I, I never I never got that. I, I would always get the look from across the room and say, it's time to take her home. Um, so, yeah. David, as I'm sitting here, it's kind of dawning on me that you're extreme. Like that, yeah. that, that's the word, like you didn't like on your way to recovery, you, your ambition wasn't to walk around the block or, or just be functional. Mm-hmm. You, he's like you, Bambos. Yeah. You're like me. You, you went and ran and like the Marine thing. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that, that's intense. He, he ran up the Empire State Building, Bambos. I don't know that I see myself as extreme. Yeah, I know you don't, but but think about it. It's yeah. the same thing as Bambos. He wakes up at three, four in the morning, and he goes five. J- five in the morning. He runs on a cold winter day. It's snowing outside, and he jumps in a lake, which is like miles away from his home, and then jogs home just to make it a little bit more drastic. He puts weights on just to make sure that it's not easy to get home. That's the kind of individual I'm sitting next to. So as you speak – it doesn't sound, and he would say he's not extreme, no, as I not, would say you're not. I, I, would, I, I would. I'm not. I don't see myself as extreme. I do see myself as stubborn. I am tenacious as all get out, um, mm. and sometimes it's because I don't. I don't like the idea of giving mm. up on something. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's writing the word down. Stubborn. <laughs> I'm just using. I'm just because I've never framed. Bambos in that light, but I'm gonna write it down and let it s- simmer in me for a while because yeah. you are kind of stubborn. So actually, it may be similar. I oh. get I get that from my mom. You know, she was as tenacious as I'll get out, and I get it exactly from her. So when we would interact, I, 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 I want David. I want to defend myself now. <laughs> <laughs> this is the best. Yeah. Whenever I hit a point where I get defense, this is the best. <laughs> I've won. <laughs> you've uncovered a nerve and now it's time to dig in Andy, yeah. i did it consciously uh. <laughs> <sighs> nice yeah yeah i would i would say that the, the way i train it, it has to do more with mindset mm-hmm. than anything else mm-hmm. and like when i talked about fear when we talked about fear earlier like every day before i jump into the uh ice bath that i have at home for example I like I'll catch my mind wanting to procrastinate. It's like I, I need to like okay, let's just do it, and then I just go and do it. Well, there are body parts that will remind you that you do not want to jump in a big puddle of ice water. So, mm. <laughs> yeah. Some- um, Bulelang says relax. He says relax, Bambos. Uh, there you go. I am relaxed, Bulelang. Mm. Like afterwards, rewarding myself but- with my smoothie. It's oh, the best. I'd love to take a step back because we are do- we are really talking about and. and uh, a topic which you're saying now, which I, I I'd like to relate as well with the walking mm-hmm. that I'm now doing and the rituals that Bambos does in the morning. What I didn't realize until now um, is that in doing the exercises you're doing, what I'm seeing is that there's a mindset that's shifted in my day. Mm-hmm. And my days before I did it were far more, whatever comes to me, I'll address it as it comes. I was much more my environment define what my day looked like. Mm-hmm. And now when I see the shift as you have done, and I'm doing it in my own way, maybe a little bit less drastic, is that there's a mindset that says, S- slow down. What? 
you're going to walk on the coast of Holland. He's doing a thing like seven days walking sure. nonstop. And it's 20 to 24 kilometers a day, Bambos. Well, That's it's like on, on it's sand. Flat, <laughs> what? It's flat, though. It's Holland. Yeah, but he'll be, he'll be doing it on sand. So it, they will, uh, I do have, have sand. Sandwiches. I do have a backpack. I mean, it's a – I had the choice. This is me. This is a typical me. Mm-hmm. I, had, I could do it in six days or seven days. <laughs> One of the days was 37 kilometers, mm-hmm. and I probably could have done it. And if it was Bambos, I guarantee you he would have done it without a question. But I looked and I said, you know what? I don't need this S-H-I-T. I'm not going to say it out loud for the sake of the children listening. H-I-T? <laughs> and, and, and I made it two days instead. Sure. So that's a typical, I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it in moderation. Yeah. That's, that's how I would say I, I, I manage myself that way. But sure. getting to the to getting to the point, which is something that I see you and Bambos do incredibly well, mm-hmm. is you have a set mindset that is very much get out the door. I've talked to Bambos about his ice baths that he'll take in the morning, and it and, and it was funny because I assumed for years that he got pleasure from these baths. I didn't know. He says, Andy, every moment right before I get in that bath, I I, I dread it, and mm-hmm. I looked at him like. I didn't know that. I thought, oh, you needed it to get some sort of endorphin rush that you needed for the day. And and, and then I saw and it was like a no. So what I'm hearing from both of you is that there's an aspect of mindset that's really like I got to set my mind to take the challenge on, even if it doesn't want to, going back to the theme of just getting out the door. So I. I, Well, yeah. And it's it's not to me, it's not always mindset. It's really. Taking action, you know, Mm -hmm. there's. There's an old, you know, there's a saying about uh, in in battle, uh, plans are useless, but planning is essential. Um, mm. I like Mike Tyson's term. Um, everybody's got to plan until they get punched in the face. Uh, yeah. That it's not what your plan is; it's what you decide to do when those plans go out the window. Nice. Uh, mm. How do you get back up, get on the horse, and get going again? Yeah, but but th- think about it, right? Um, you used movement to recover. Mm. So, so if you've reached that point, and 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 now as we're getting older, I mean, I'm 44 now, but I do think about it, as I'm getting older, movement has been a big part of my life. There's a joy to move, and mm-hmm. like even if I have to walk at like Andy when I'm 80, I'll do it. <laughs> you know, his goal is he doesn't want to look like me when he's 50. That's where we are right now. You don't want to be like a before and after picture. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, and I do see it as an act of self-love. Yeah. Like, I, I have to, like, back to the ice baths, there, I do see my immune system strengthening. Mm. Like, th- th- I've also experimented not doing them for, I did it for four days a week instead of every day. Yeah. And on those days, if I'm going through emotional things, I find that the ice bath, I need to find my breath, mm. get out of my head, and just center myself. And after five or ten minutes, I'm out of there, and I need to recover, of course. But there's there's this, the next step that I need to go through, and that's recovering, which, which yeah. involves me vacuum cleaning my whole house. <laughs> <laughs> that's one way to warm up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I just like to touch that as well. Again, going uh, back to mindset is that 
I've noticed also in my getting out the door for me and doing the walks, there is a centeredness that comes over. Mm-hmm. My thoughts aren't as scattered. Yeah. I have less time to look at social media. So it disinterests me because when I do have free time, there's things that really need to get done and I go to sleep quicker. And so everything sort of falls into place yeah. when you put in the right mindset. So I'm, I'm presuming doing the ice baths, doing the things you do are very much centering you for just being present, you know? Well, I like the idea of of being in motion because some people say they don't like running or riding by themselves because it's so boring. It's like, that's exactly why I do it because there's nobody talking to me. There's nothing I have to deal with other than doing exactly what I'm doing right now. No. And it really, really helps. I mean, when when you start to invest in movement also what i see in andy's life you start to okay i'm looking after my body i need to look after my mind mm-hmm. like there there's an action reaction so now i'm going to eat better i'm going to sleep better yeah I, I go to bed i i go to bed at 8 p.m mm-hmm. i'll read something until nine and then i pass out around nine mm-hmm. o'clock mm-hmm. that's normally my daily yeah yeah, yeah. yes sleep is definitely underrated yeah. Yeah. And I think that get out the door again is that things like I noticed that once I walked, mm-hmm. I changed my eating, like yeah. you said. And then you I stopped ch- eating Cheetos. No Cheetos. And then I stopped. I also did intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. And so if I had done all that at once, there's no way I would have done it because it would just yeah. be too much to manage. It so was a consequence. It, it was like a consequence of taking the first step. And that's. I think that's always served me in life because it's integrated it into a solid foundation. I've said the, the quick, you know, doing a quick diet, which I'll also do just to get my weight back into a manageable place right. is also something I've done. But I see this has been a very a, a much different. <laughs> Bambos has seen me through my ups and downs, literally. Yeah. Yes. Well, once, once you do, yeah. Once you do one thing and you can kind of push that to the back of your mind where now I'm just doing this automatically. Yeah. It's a lot easier to do the next thing because now you're in motion. Yeah. Just like driving a car. It's really hard to steer a car when it's sitting still. But once you're, once you're in motion, you can move with one finger. You know, yeah. it's, it's really a, the effort to change becomes a lot easier once you're in motion. Thank you. We just, by the way, we've come to the end of our hour. Okay. So it shot by and we didn't even get to your Tinder dating, which I would have loved to have heard about. So for those <laughs> listening on Monday, March 15th, we have the book by David Hollingsworth. That's Get Out the Door. It's going to be available on Amazon. And then in about 30 days, it's going to be his voice, Melancholy Singing. I assume that's going to be available on audio and everything, everywhere that uh, audiobooks can be downloaded. And of course, yes. when you buy the book, write a review, guys. It's yes. To support yes. The writers. Everyone needs a reviews. Please. I've been, I've been panhandling for reviews for my book. Yep. For uh, for uh, I don't know how many months now, but yeah, if you buy if you buy the book on the Kindle sale, which starts Monday, uh, I am going to be g- giving away a number of signed copies. Great! If you post a review, if you post a review, thank you very much for being with us, David. It was great thank to spend you. the hour with you. Yeah, it's been great. I've really enjoyed being here. I look forward to coming back and talking about dating. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> have a well, beautiful morning. You too. We'll do. Bye bye. It's a wonderful chaos. We like it that way.